Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography in the Apple ecosystem. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. This episode is sponsored by Take Control Books, ebooks by expert authors you know on tech topics you care about. Thanks for joining us. I know you've been busy this summer. You've all probably been out taking pictures, so it's really great that you can take a half hour to sit down and listen to us in your favorite podcast app or in your car or in your easy chair or under your tent when you're out camping waiting to shoot long exposure photographs of the sky above you. This is episode number 12, and this week we're delighted to welcome photographer, writer, and mentor David Dushman. Hey guys, how you doing? I've gotten to know David Dushman recently because I've been taking one of his courses called The Compelling Frame that I started last year. And it's a very interesting course. It's videos, it's exercises, and there's a Facebook group with people who are taking this course and another course. And there's a lot of interaction between the students and David. And I wanted David to come on the show because one thing that we've said from the very beginning of this podcast is this is not a podcast about gear. And David has a sort of a slogan. I'll let you say it. Gear is good, but vision is better. Exactly. And that's kind of the way we think about photography. Neither Jeff nor I are gear freaks, though, you know, we have our share of gear. And what we're trying to do on this podcast is look at what is involved in taking good pictures. You, you did an article, and this is back in May, called Leaving Dafen. Dafen being a city in China where, if I remember correctly, people copy things all the time. And, and you said something interesting. You said, we're all trying so damn hard to blend in that we have no chance at standing out. And when you look at what people post on Instagram and other places today, so many of them look like they're just making the same pictures as everyone else. Yet your motivation in your courses and your, your blog articles, your videos, your books is to, to show people what they can do to make pictures that are personal. Tell us about your philosophy behind this approach to photography. Well, it's a good question. I see, I see photography as a means of uh, both ex exploration and expression. And I think, um, you know, I got a lot of feedback from that article and some people saying, well, you're saying, you know, we should never copy. Is there anything wrong with the fact that many of our images are the same? And I think we all go through stages as creative people as photographers and there are going there is a valid in fact necessary stage where we do copy where we imitate where we try things on for size and and I would never suggest that you rush that stage but I think that if we stay in that stage if we never transcend that and go beyond um, I think we're missing out on an opportunity. The first stage is important to learn your craft, to get comfortable with the tools. Uh, it's it's necessary and always has been necessary for craftsmen to imitate the, the masters in any craft. There's sort of this uh, apprentice stage. However, once you learn to use the tools, the next big question is, for what have I learned to use these tools? And that's this uh, this next stage or one of many next stages that is more about what do what do I want to say? What do I want to explore with my camera and how can I do that? And for very few of us, long term is copying the work of others really that satisfying. And and I think even for those for whom it is, if you're nudged out of that comfort zone, I think you find a world of exploration. You know, photography for me is not just about making photographs. For me, photography is about, it's so much more than just making photographs. It's about experiencing life. It's about 
um, pushing us potentially out of our comfort zones, helping us see things and being, being more alive. And I think one of the ways we do that is not stepping in the footsteps of others and finding the tripod holes of others, but forging out on our own. I think it's, it's important for us to have that personal exploration more than just getting yet another photograph on Facebook that has a million likes or um, looks like, you know, the work of Ansel Adams or Steve McCurry or Sally Mann or whoever it is that we that we revere. Um, but like I said, I do think it's important that we recognize there are stages and you can't rush the first stage uh, and you shouldn't stay in it any longer than it's useful for you. Do you find a point at which you shifted from focusing on technical and craft to more of the vision aspect? Like, was there a point where you just felt comfortable enough with all of your gear and your technique and your skills that then you could sort of broaden into that, okay, I'm going to shoot my own path, essentially. Like, was there a, a moment or has this all been sort of gradually bubbling in your experience? Yeah, I, I would say that it's the the latter. I, um, you know, it's a little bit like what you, if you've been out at the pub and you're drinking and and the, there is definitely a line between when when you were sober and in your right mind and when you had one too many. Um, yes. I, I, I really believe that line is only visible in hindsight, that you look back and go, oh, that, that was the line. Uh, and now I'm over it. Um, and I think that that has occurred for me in photography. I've been doing this 30 years. And I don't believe that I can look back and say, um, I, actually, at the time, I certainly couldn't say, oh, this is, I'm taking this, you know, great next step. It has been very gradual and progressive because you learn a new skill. And then that skill gives you new ways to express your vision and you struggle with it. And as you do that, you find, oh, I need this particular skill set. And you learn that. And that gives, uh, opens a door to yet another new way of expression. And it's a little bit, um, you know, one step after the other. And only in hindsight, do you look back and go, oh, I can see some of these milestones, but never would I have guessed that in fact, at the time they were milestones. I think we're uncomfortable with nuances photographers. I think it's like, we want to be apprentices and get to this point where someone throws the door open and behold, now we are masters. And I just, I think every day as we, we grow personally in slow evolutionary stages with the occasional odd crisis that takes us to the next level. And so I think that our, our craft and our vision similarly happens. There may be a few, um, but they're not as significant as that long, slow growth. There, there were, I remember going to Haiti after I'd been photographing for years, kind of always wondering, what, what am I doing this for? I knew I didn't want to be a wedding photographer. I knew, I, I knew all kinds of things that I didn't want to do. It was only when I went to Haiti that I picked up my camera and went, oh, yeah, these are the kind of stories I want to tell. This is the kind of change that I want to affect. And I had in that the, the first glimpses of what would eventually come um, my sort of more mature vision. But I, I'm pretty sure that there are many more moments like that ahead of me as well, where I realize, no, it's, it's no longer this, it's that. And then you kind of follow the hints and see where it goes. That's exactly why I asked, because looking back and, and being able to see those moments, that's one thing. But I think a lot of us are sort of looking forward and, you know, asking that question, what is my voice? What is my vision? What is my, my style? And 
it's it's hard to to look ahead and see that because you're like, okay, well, am I a black and white street photographer? Okay, maybe I am. Or do I have like a specific look in terms of portraits and, you know, trying on all of those those different possibilities before you run into like, oh, no, no, this is the Jeff Carlson style, whatever that is. And I have no idea what that is and how gradual is that? Or like you said, going to Haiti and, and having that moment of, you know, like, like this is what fits. This is what feels good. Right. And I, and I think that's an important consideration. I, I think the mistake that we make is in waiting until we have that clarity. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I discover my style, when I discover my vision, then I will whatever, go out and do that. And I, I think yeah. more often than not, it's a question of pick up the camera, you go play. And as you're playing, there's this discovery and you go, oh, yeah, I really like that. Oh, that was that was unexpected. And, you you know, there's this great article um, and I've, I've forgotten the name of the author, but it's it's made its rounds and um, it's it's an excellent article. It's called The Helsinki Bus Station Theory. And um, it must be one of the only things that Petapixel has ever published that I think is, has any meaning to it whatsoever. Um, uh-huh. But uh, but the idea is that so many of us, you know, you get on the bus at Helsinki bus station and all of the buses leaving that station for the first few hundred meters or more have a very similar uh, or exactly the same route. You learn a certain amount of things and you know, it, it's only as those routes branch off and you go further and further down that you further and further explore or discover what your vision might be. And I think if if you get off too soon, I believe this is part of the point of the article, if you get off too soon because you don't think you know where it's heading, like you look out the window and all the buses are going in the same direction, you're like, well, I got on the wrong bus. So you get off, you go back to the beginning. Many beginners they keep going back to the beginning and they keep going back to the beginning instead of allowing themselves this evolutionary, let's see where the journey takes me. And they never get to a point where they're so comfortable in, in their craft that they, that they can use those tools um, with that, you know, the intuition or the, um, you know, the, ma- the levels of mastery. I, I think if you're always going back to the beginning, you sabotage that process. And if you believe that you have to know exactly where that bus is going uh, before you get on it, you're going to be waiting a long time and sabotaging your own creative potential. In a way, you could look at this early stage of copying like a musician who's doing scales, learning to familiarize themselves with their instrument, learning to become fluent. Uh, I've been playing music off and on for... I don't know, 40 years. And there's a point when you're playing an instrument that you forget that you're playing the instrument and it becomes natural. Or, or another example is learning a foreign language. When I moved to France in 1984, I had a little bit of French, but there was a point maybe six or eight months later when all of a sudden I was thinking in French and I didn't have to think of the process. And I think a lot of people in photography, this goes back to your slogan, gear is good, but vision is better. We could parse this for hours. A lot of people in photography, they get wrapped up in the, the shiny new gear and, and they got another lens and some fancy filters and some lights and stuff. And they spend more time thinking about the gear instead of dropping that away and using the camera as an extension of their eye. And one thing that you point out in the course is how much we need to learn to see in order to take pictures. And, and you stress a lot, something that I really appreciate, the fact of looking at what other master photographers do and learning from that rather than taking the same picture of that 
pier going out into the lake with a long exposure so the water looks like glass. Yeah, your reference to music, I think, is a really relevant one. You know, I have uh, I have two guitars sitting in the corner of my my office, and I have this rule when people come into my house that they're not allowed to touch my guitars. And the reason for that is not because I am precious about my stuff. It's because every time anyone else picks it up, I realize this <laughs> with renewed shock that um, it's not that my guitar is um is bad i have a very good guitar it just sounds so much better in their hands than mine and i like to labor under the delusion that it's my guitar that is the problem and i and i you know every time i pick it up i think oh you know i kind of enjoy this but ah uh, if i had a better guitar you know what this would be and yet i have these friends that come in and are very good guitars and every time they pick it up i'm like oh please don't oh and then they play and it's beautiful <laughs> and the the fault lies not in my guitar it's a lovely guitar it's you know it's the equivalent of a pro size dslr or you know whatever it's a it's a perfectly good guitar there's nothing wrong with it um I just haven't put the time in. And Edward Weston said, you know, it's it's no wonder that most of us don't reach mastery because we're always changing our tools. We're going from, you know, he was speaking in terms of analog days, but he was basically functionally, uh, if he said it now, he'd be saying, you know, we keep going from Lightroom plug-in to new lens to new camera body from DSLR to mirrorless. No wonder we don't master it. We're always chasing the newest thing and we never get, you know, things like the muscle memory. And we don't, instead of focusing on the latest specs of the latest DSLR, we could be, as you pointed out, Kirk, we could be studying the masters. We could be studying photographs instead of, you know, the catalog from the big camera store around the street. <laughs> Most photographers I know, Oh my gosh! Oh, tell me, B and H sends me one every every eight weeks. If oh, if it's not huge, and and not only is it a terrific waste of of paper and resources, but most photographers know the B and H catalog better than they know you know the, the body of work of of twelve <laughs> great photographers or even their own work. They they stu they don't study their own work. They just have kind of concluded, like I have with my guitar, that there's clearly something wrong with my tools. Okay, this is really interesting, but we need to take a break so we can talk about our sponsor. We'll be back in one minute to talk more with David Dushman. The Photoactive Podcast is brought to you by Take Control Books, ebooks by expert authors you know on tech topics you care about. Take Control publishes books about Apple hardware and software, including books by Jeff and me. Take Control Books help you understand your Mac or iOS device, focusing on topics such as keeping your devices working well, privacy, security, and how to use popular Apple and third-party apps. Take Control books are published like software. We offer free bug fixes and minor updates and discounted upgrades to new editions. Some Take Control books that might interest you include Jeff's Take Control of Your Digital Photos and Take Control of Lightroom CC, Jason Snell's Photos, a Take Control Crash Course, and I've written Take Control books about iTunes, Scrivener, LaunchBar, and Audio Hijack. We have a special offer for photoactive listeners. You can get 30% off any book using the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. Go to TakeControlBooks.com slash PHOTOACTIVE, that's PHOTOACTIVE in one word, and you'll get the discount automatically. Take Control Books, ebooks by expert authors you know on tech topics you care about. Both of you talked about uh, music. I, at one point, I think when GarageBand came out, I borrowed a friend's electric guitar, and I had that moment of, you know, 
maybe deep down, like I'm a guitar prodigy <laughs> and I'm going to pick this up and it's going to like, like, it's just going to click. And of course, you know, I discovered very quickly that that was not the case, but that's also sort of something with photography too. But that's a very humbling experience. I, all my life, I have tried to learn things. And, and I think this goes back to the fact that I dropped out of college when I was 17. I started college when I was 16, dropped out after three semesters. And I've always tried to catch up to learn things. So I'm constantly going through the process of learning new things. And that process teaches you a lot. A few months ago, I started learning to play the shakuhachi. It's a Japanese flute. I've always loved the sound of the instrument. If you've ever blown into one of those things, you know how hard it is just to make a sound. And having that humbling experience puts you back in that position as a beginner. And you can apply that to other things you're doing. You can look at things and think, okay, this is the first step, and I need to understand that to go further. One of the problems with photography, I think, is that either people don't use their cameras at all, they point and click, or they spend too much time, got to shoot manual, got to figure out the exposure triangle and all this, and they get so obsessed. Just to, to, to riff on what you said before, David, which probably you said this because your most recent article, is it any good? You said, I don't think photographs fail because they are technically inadequate. I think they fail because they have nothing to say, and that's not the fault of the photograph or the camera. People are so obsessed with the techniques and the technology. And again, to, to mention your course, you're teaching composition. You're teaching how to see and how to put things in a frame and how to work with light and colors. And it's not rules, it's principles. It's all very fluid. You don't really talk about gear at all in, in this course, in fact. No, not at all, because everything in terms of the visual language uh, with some notable exceptions that rely on, for example, a really long shutter speed or a 10-stop neutral density or an, an intervalometer, you know, all the stuff that I uh, don't do. I Someone asked me the other day how to use their intervalometer. I can't even spell intervalometer. <laughs> um, I haven't the foggiest idea, so I defer to, to better voices on that stuff. But all of the visual language stuff, for the most part, is can be accomplished on an iPhone. It can be accomplished with... Uh, a sketch pad, even it's the it's so fundamental things like contrast and juxtaposition and line and shape and repeated elements, those things. And, you know, you ask a, a photographer about their sensor and they will use all kinds of big words and tell you about Bayer arrays. And, you know, I, I mean, things like anti-aliasing filters, oh my God, my eyes just kind of roll <laughs> into the back of my head. And yet you say, well, explain to me why you think that this photograph works. Uh, why does it make me feel the way it does? And they will stare at you with this kind of deer in the headlights thing and then very quickly <laughs> change the subject and ask you, you know, whether you should shoot with prime lenses or zoom lenses. <laughs> I think we can do better than that. And, and, there's, and there's also the, the overdone technique, and, and you and I both agreed at one point on Facebook, that word that begins with the letter B about how things are out of focus in the background. It's like, this is like the coolest technique for people. They have to have the F0.1 lens to be able to get this, you know, total blur behind Oh things. my God, the worship of Boca. It's, you know, it's like- it's I don't like even a, want to say the word. It's, it's like a shrine in the temple of histograms. I mean, the, the stuff that we, you know, it's like adventures and missing the point. You, you, now you have to understand that stuff and you have to recognize it as a visual tool that has- uh, possibility to accomplish a certain thing. But when you fall so in love with the effect and you you don't get to the point where you're asking, how does this 
enhance the story I'm trying to tell? How does this enhance the visual or emotional experience that people on the other side of this photograph are going to have? Instead, what you get is a wedding photographer who's so in love with their 1.2 lens that every <laughs> shot of the bride is perfectly sharp and the groom is this unrecognizable <laughs> in the background. And you have to wonder, is the groom back there, you know, when he sees the photographs, like, uh, do I matter in this? <laughs> no, but look at my bokeh, you know, it's, it's, uh, and again, you know, I don't mean to be totally dismissive, but I just think we can do better. I think we can take all of this stuff that we're so in love with the effect and we can ask, great. Now that I'm, I'm past that sort of infatuation, how can I use it or not use it to accomplish a certain thing? And every technique has that. I mean, just because I don't geek out on bokeh, um, doesn't mean that I haven't, you know, got, we, we all have, you know, I have, I have overused vignettes. I've overused starbursts. I, you know, I've pushed the saturation too, too far on images or not far enough. We all get kind of, you know, into these little ruts. And that's why I suggest the creative process is always a journey. You're always going to learn. Um, but you do have to at least be aware that there is the possibility for a journey. There's the possibility for getting beyond just the, um, you know, that's why I say gear is good, but vision is better. I look, don't get me wrong. I, I, within, um, probably within 10 feet of me right now, or, you know, three meters for the rest of the world, I, mm -hmm. I can touch uh, a dozen cameras. I've got, I can see two Canons, two Nikons. I can see a Hasselblad, two Pentax, three Pentaxes, a Polaroid. And that's, that's, those are all the cameras I'm not using right now. You know, there's a Leica behind me. And, and so I, and there's a box of Fuji gear. I can geek out with the best of them on a, on some of this stuff. But they're all just tools. They all serve a vision. Much as I love to play with them in my hand, it's the photograph that I'm truly in love with. It's the process of making them that I'm truly in love with. One of the things about photography today, though, is it's so easy to take pictures. It's so easy to share pictures. We're inundated with pictures. And people take pictures and dump them on Instagram and dump them on Facebook. And people either like them and they get really happy or no one likes them. And then they wonder what's wrong, but it's very hard to actually get critiques. And I mentioned earlier, the Facebook group that you set up for your courses, being someone with experience of Usenet forums, I am amazed at the quality of interaction and critiquing in that group. I think you've just attracted people who are not loonies, and it makes it a lot easier. But the ability to talk to other people who are maybe at a stage ahead of us, maybe at a stage behind us in the photographic journey, and to, to hear what they think and to hear the questions that they ask, why did you take this picture? What if you cropped over there? What if you lightened this? This, I think, is one of the most important things in photography. And if people just take pictures, put them on Instagram, they don't get any of that. Yeah, I completely agree. I, th I think that the most helpful critiques are those that come as a result of conversation when conversation is our context and i can say to you here's how i feel did you intend for me to feel that way here's how i experience or read the photograph or did you consider doing this i wonder what would happen if this change was made how would it but too often it just goes straight to this one-sided uh, effort in your photograph should look like my photograph or if I was doing it here's what I would have done well it's not your photograph and you weren't doing it so go make your own <laughs> photograph and stop picking on mine um, it's not 
truly meant as a as a gift to the other person where we say let's let's actually talk about it let's really explore it and know that the end goal is not consensus the end goal is not that we all come to agreement and we take a vote <laughs> and that even the end goal is not that everyone like your photograph but that it accomplished the accomplishes the thing that you set out to do. And you mentioned, Kirk, at the beginning of this thing, the article about, you know, is it good? We're all so concerned about, is it good? Well, it's almost a meaningless question because there are a million ways in which a photograph can be good. And if we can get to that, for example, if if a photograph succeeds for me because it is mysterious, then the question really of the photographer is, hey, is this photograph mysterious? Well, now we've got a place we can start from. Does this photograph give me a certain feeling? Does it communicate a certain kind of information, a certain kind of story? Um, it may be very good technically and do none of those things, you know, and Facebook could take the vote and say, yes, in fact, it is a good photograph. And yet it doesn't <laughs> satisfy you because it doesn't accomplish the thing you set out to. So I'm trying to, I actually am, the next book I want to work on takes this as its premise and say, well, what does in fact make a photograph good? What are the things in a photograph to which we respond that might make it good in however many different ways that might occur? Does your experience doing stand-up comedy in any way help you be a photographer? I think it really does. I did 12 years of comedy and uh, what it does not do is make funny photographs. I, God help me. I have tried, you know, I adore Elliot Erwitt and I think he has such a sense of juxtaposition and there is, I mean, the word wit is right in his name for God's sakes. It's, exactly. It's almost too perfect. And I cannot for the life of me make a, a funny photograph the way that he can. But when I set out to do comedy, I sat down and said, what makes people laugh? What, what is comedy? What, how can I write a joke that makes people laugh? Because I wanted to get to the heart of it as quickly as I could. And I think that ability to parse things out, to take it apart and look at all the moving pieces, I have applied to photography and that has helped me. So the fact that I had to be very intentional about comedy, the best comedy, yes, is spontaneous, but it's also stripped of all the unnecessary stuff. You edit the fat out and because if you're just going on and on and on and never getting to the point, um, you know, Seinfeld is a master at this, uh, not the Seinfeld show, which I couldn't abide, but his actual <laughs> stand up is really fantastic. It's very tightly written. And he just he go, he has more laughs per minute and um, uh, comedians actually count their laughs per minute. They're a really neurotic bunch, but they do it so that they can strip out anything unnecessary to get to the funny. And I think the most powerful photographs also do that. They isolate, they get to the point. They know that a photograph can only do one thing really well, and they don't try to do three things. And I think that ability is something I learned in, in comedy. So we're awash with images. They're all over the place on TV and movies, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere we look, there's images. And, and people who try to take photos, uh, I think in, in any creative experience, you can only learn by people who are better than you. In your course, you talk about studying the masters. Can you maybe just mention for our listeners two or three photographers that you recommend that people study to understand what 
one can do in photography. And that aren't these staged photographs like Annie Leibovitz, which is wonderful, but this isn't something that most people can do. Um, well, and, and if it is, it's certainly not something that most people want to do. Um, I prefer the spontaneous. I prefer, as I mentioned, I love Elliot Erwitt, and I'm quite sure that there are a number of his photographs that were staged and are contrived. They don't lose any of their la um, their their life for me. Uh, but I, I'm sure he must have staged that one with the dog jumping next to the guy's legs. Oh, there's I, no he, way that that could be spontaneous. You know, or or he just encouraged the dog to keep doing it until he finally got it. Or but there are some. <laughs> you know, he's got one of uh, a. a painting class where you know he's flipped the roles and there's a fully dressed model and all the all the painters or all the students are naked um clearly clearly that is that is not something one just stumbles upon uh, nevertheless i love elliot Erwitt, so he would be a first one um i have an unrequited love affair for ernst haas i think he is just absolutely uh, spectacular. His book, Color Correction, is wonderful. And in a, um, a recent one, and I, I'm conscious of the fact that my, my list is uh, all men, but that's purely just uh, accidental. I have a lot of women on my, my list. But um, the recent one that I just discovered was uh, is um, Alex Webb, his book, The Suffering of Light. And um, that book for me has just been staggering in terms of what I learned from it. I love his work, but it's, it's challenging. I look at it and go, I would never see like that. But you, you know, what's funny is that the more you look at stuff like that, the more you do see that seeing is something we do not with our eyes, but with our minds. And it's a, really a matter of recognition. The first time you see it, like, Oh, I would never see that. That's because it, it, it's not something your brain's not wired that way, but if you spend time with Alex Webb's book or anything that's outside of your usual way of perceiving things, you do eventually start to see that way. You can read, you know, the images of Constantine Manos or Alex Webb and see a certain way of using light and shadow. And when you're out in the world, especially with the camera and you start kind of playing with it, you do start seeing that way. You do begin to see juxtapositions the more you look at the work of someone like uh, Elliot Erwitt. So, so I think there's great value in studying the masters. And I'm always, if there's, well, I don't get a lot of visitors to my house, but the UPS guy and I are like best friends. <laughs> he is always here with a new box from, from Amazon. And every time someone says, oh, you really need to see, you know, the latest one, someone said, you got to see the work of Wynn Bullock. And I looked up Wynn Bullock and he's got a book called Revelations. And I thought, oh, I'll give it a try. I can't believe I've gone my whole life without knowing this guy. And every time someone says that, unfortunately, my bookshelves are set getting so big that I, I have to uh, now I have to get the UPS guy to make an IKEA run for me or something. Um, <laughs> but I, that to me, if there is a point in our craft where you need to stop spending all the money on the instructional stuff and just start really studying photographs themselves you know it's important at the beginning when you're playing guitar you you watch the tutorials and you learn how others are doing it in a very granular technique based way but at a certain point you need to stop with that when you've got to a comfort level with the language and you need to start studying why songs work and why you know for the love of god everyone always seems to play stairway to heaven why does that song work so well whereas so many don't as photographers, we need to study our language, and the, one of the best ways to do that is just to to 
study and appreciate and celebrate the work of others, not with an eye to, you know, how did he do this necessarily, but just to absorb, just to see the language in use and and go, oh, I, I, can't, I get that. I never imagined using light or shadow or look at the way the repeated elements work in this. Um, that for me has been one of the biggest revelations. David, I want to thank you very much for taking this time. This is incredibly inspirational. There will be plenty of links in the show notes to your website, to your courses, to the hats you sell, because you now sell hats, <laughs> to your YouTube well, channel. <laughs> well, we don't sell hats yet. We want to do T-shirts, not hats. Um, to your YouTube channel, you haven't done any YouTube videos in a while, but your YouTube videos are generally quite inspirational. And and your 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 new book, Pilgrims and Nomads, and all your other books. I don't know how you find time to do all this, so maybe you need to take a a little bit of a break and <laughs> <laughs> relax a little bit and then go out and shoot some more great pictures. Thanks, David. Yeah, you're very welcome, guys. Thanks so much. So it's time to talk about our snapshots this week. Jeff, what do you have? So um, in, in talking with David and thinking about photo books and going out and, and taking a lot of the uh, remarkable photos that he does, I am going to actually introduce a book, a, a, a printed photo book. I know this is not my role, but it is now. The book is by Steve McCurry. It's From These Hands, A Journey Along the Coffee Trail. And I know uh, we're going back to coffee too, but <laughs> it's a great book, largely of, of portraits, but basically uh, he traveled through all the different coffee regions, Central America, Ethiopia, just talking to people. Mostly it's a lot of uh, vibrant colors because you have some of these, you know, really rich areas, rich cultures. And it's lovely if you're at all interested in portraiture, really. I mean, coffee is just the framing device. There's not a whole lot of actual coffee, but it's a nice glimpse into where coffee comes from and the people behind it, which oftentimes gets lost. How about you, Kirk? Well, I too have a book, coincidentally. It's not a book of photography. And, and actually doing David's course and, and discussing with people on Facebook and the group and everything, and thinking about studying the masters, I realized it's not just the photographers we should study. There are also artists that we should study. And there's a type of art that I've always liked. It's these Japanese woodcuts. So I recently bought a book of Hiroshiga's 100 Famous Views of Edo. Now, you've certainly seen at least one of these, you know, the picture with the bridge and the people with the horse carts going over the bridge. Very well-known picture. Um, these are 100 woodcuts, and they're all in portrait mode. So they're all taller than wide. He has another set, which is all in landscape. And as you look at these things, you know, woodcuts are very different from paintings, that the usage was different. And the compositional techniques are very similar. Having items in the foreground with a distant background, maybe having something right in the foreground to get in the way in certain ways, the leading lines, the, the angles, the lighting and all that. I'm just leafing through this book now. And as I look at these pictures, so many of them could be well-composed photographs. And of course, there's no such thing as a well-composed photograph. It's a well-composed image and photographs and paintings and woodcuts. They all follow the same sort of principles. So this is also a very attractive book. I mentioned Tashin earlier, the publisher for the, of the book that David mentioned. This is also by Tashin. It's published like a Japanese book sewn in a certain way and an accordion printing. So the pages are actually folded a little bit complicated, but if you've seen one of these Japanese books, you know what it is. It's a fairly large book. It weighs a couple pounds. 
and it comes in a case that closes it. It's, it's an attractive book, but it's not very expensive. So if you want to look at some composition of things that aren't photographs, this is an interesting thing to do. So it's Hiroshiga's 100 Famous Views of Edo. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or in Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Don't forget that you can get 30% off any purchase at Take Control Books with the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. Go to TakeControlBooks.com slash PHOTOACTIVE. That's PHOTOACTIVE in one word, and you'll get the discount automatically. Until next week, thanks again for listening.